It happened again. The cutter's assistant, Jacob, was standing behind Yetta when she scraped her chair back at the end of the day. Do you like to dance? he asked. Do I look like the kind of girl who has time to dance? Yetta snapped back, unfolding herself from the chair. She crossed her arms self-consciously, covering the worn spots on her skirt. Then she changed her mind and put her hands on her hips, her fingers all but pointing to the threadbare places. Do I look like I have the money for the kind of dresses girls need for dancing? I send all my money back to my family in Russia. Anyhow, I'm busy taking English lessons at night. I take English lessons too, Jacob said. You do? Yes, but mine don't meet on Saturday nights. I thought maybe you would go dancing with me then. Yetta looked across the factory floor to the row of windows that lined the walls facing Green Street. The windows were open, letting in a gentle April breeze. Even in New York City, April smelled of flowers budding and leaves unfurling and green things springing back to life. The breeze had been teasing Yetta all day, calling her away from her machine, calling her to something that she desperately longed for but couldn't have defined or described. Maybe it was dancing. We could practice our English together, Jacob said. Yetta jerked her attention back to Jacob, just another arrogant cutter even if he did have those maddeningly handsome curls and honey-colored eyes. The thought of practicing English while dancing made Yetta think of Rahel helping her husband in the store. It made her think of their mother selling eggs and cheese to supply their father's religious texts, but never buying anything for herself. It made her think that Jacob wanted to dance with her for all the wrong reasons. No, thank you, Yetta said with great dignity. <clears throat> she held her head high as she walked past him. She deliberately went to the Washington Place door, the nearest one, forgetting that it was locked. Something else the strike should have changed, she thought. She had to thread her way back through the maze of tables and baskets and stacked shirtwaist parts and then wait in line for the elevator. Although she was very careful not to watch, or not to watch in a way that anyone can tell, she was aware of how Jacob walked back to his table, how he scraped scraps of fabric into the huge bin underneath, how he kicked the bin and slapped his hand against the table. What is wrong with me? Yetta wondered. Would it have killed me to say yes? When she got down to Green Street, Bella and Jane were waiting for her, giggling. We're picking out a law student for Jane to marry someday, Bella said laughing. How about that one? The boy she pointed to had chestnut hair, yet I thought he might be the same one who asked her about the strike way back in October. Better that you should be picking out law students to help us with the union, Yetta snapped. The chestnut-haired boy was brushing past her. Excuse me, sir, she said boldly, tugging on his sleeve. Are you a law student? Uh, yes, he said, startled. This was not the same student Yetta had talked to before. This one didn't seem nearly so sure of himself, <clears throat> and he was walking alone, not with a pack of friends. He looked from Yetta to Bella to Jane and back to Yetta. Charles Livingston, at your service. Charmed, I'm sure, Jane said automatically, as if that response was required. I'm Yetta, and this is Bella and Jane, Yetta said. Are you aware that there is a great injustice going on right next door to your law school? At the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, the owners agreed to certain conditions at the end of our strike, and I believe every single one of those conditions has now been violated. 
It's as if the strike never happened. Aren't there any laws to help us? Uh, I don't know, Charles said. I'm just a first year. I'd have to ask my professors. He hesitated. I do know when your strike was going on. They said American laws were designed to protect business owners, not workers. He recited the last part as though from memory. They asked us if we thought that was fair. And do you? Yetta asked. Charles shrugged. What do I know? I'm only a first year. I'm only 18 years old. I'm only 16, Yetta said. And I know. I know because I've lived it. It's not fair. It's not right. Well, then you could vote. Oops, sorry. I forgot I was talking to a girl. You could tell your husband or boyfriend to vote. Forget it. Yetta said, stalking away. Bella and Jane caught up with her a few minutes later. I can't believe you did that, Bella said, giggling. Just going up to a man like that, a total stranger, and talking to him. Talking? That was haranguing. That was lecturing. That was incredible, Jane snorted. Though I must say, you probably just ruined my chances of ever marrying that law student. Yet a world on her friends. Why would you want to marry someone who doesn't even know what he thinks about injustice, she asked. I suppose he'd be awfully malleable, Jane said thoughtfully. You could just convince him to think the way you do. You could probably tell him how to vote. But what if I want to vote all by myself? Cast my own ballot, Yetta asked. Stand on my own two feet. It's like dancing. Why does the man always get to lead? She stamped her feet because that wasn't what she was trying to say. Why is the whole world stacked in favor of rich Christian men when God made me a poor Jewish girl? Maybe God thinks you're up to the challenge, Jane said quietly. Mr. Harris and Mr. Blanc are Jewish too, Bella pointed out. So that's not... Oh, wait, dancing. Don't tell me, that cutter actually asked you to a dance, didn't he? You're going, aren't you? You can borrow a hat from Sadie across the hall and... Never mind, Yetta said, stomping away from them. I thought you promised not to be grumpy anymore, Jane called after her. Yetta pretended not to notice. Fueled by indignation, she got back to the tenement building far ahead of Bella and Jane. The sidewalks were crowded as usual, so Yetta was practically inside the front door before she noticed the woman standing nearby. Yetta, a familiar voice, rang out. It was Rahel leaning against the railing. She reached out and gathered Yetta into her arms. Yetta almost gave in, almost let herself relax into her older sister's hug. Rahel had gained weight as a grocer's wife. She was very solid now. It would be such a relief for Yetta to spill everything to Rahel, to tell her about Jacob inviting her to dance and about feeling confused and about the way the April breeze seemed so determined to lure her away from her machine. Maybe Rahel would even quote something her mother used to say. Men can nicht tanzt av The rest of that is Yiddish. You, can't you cannot dance at two weddings at the same time. Meaning, maybe Yetta was right to turn Jacob down. He was a distraction. Except that saying about was about weddings, and weddings were a sore subject between Yetta and Rahel. Yetta had barely danced at, Rah at all at Rahel's wedding. She'd mostly sat there in stony silence. Now Yetta held herself stiff and pulled away. It's been so long since you came to the store, Rahel complained. 
There's another store, closer, Dieta said, deliberately misunderstanding. She knew Rahel wasn't just trying to drum up business. You remember what it's like when you work all day at the sewing machine. You don't want to walk an extra block or two to get groceries. Rahel frowned and tilted her head to the side, regarding her sister sadly. Let's go sit on the fire escape, she said. Just you and me. I've got something to tell you. Did you hear me invite you in? Yet I wanted to say, but that would have been too rude. Rahel led the way up the stairs and through the apartment. She pulled a mattress out onto the fire escape to sit on, and soon they were both outside again, three stories above the street, their backs propped against the wall, the breeze teasing at their hair. Rahel turned to Yetta, her eyes gleaming, and said, I'm going to have a baby. We are going to have a baby, Samuel and me. You're going to be an aunt. Of course. That was how these things happened. First the wedding, then a baby. Still, Yetta felt like she'd had the wind knocked out of her. A baby. Another way for Rahel to be different from Yetta. Mazel tov, Yetta said weakly. Rahel stared out over the street. Please tell me you're happy for me, she said quietly. Didn't I say mazel tov, Yetta asked. Didn't you hear me? You didn't sound like you meant it, Yetta shrugged. It's just, it's happened fast, didn't it? She picked at the threadbare patch on her skirt. I thought you wanted to save money to bring our family over from Russia. The baby won't be here until January, Rahel said. We're still saving money. But babies are expensive, Yetta said. They need clothes and food and more clothes because they grow so fast. You'll have this whole new family and maybe you won't care about mother and father. Or me, she wanted to say. But that would sound so childish and selfish. Yetta, I already have a whole new family ever since I married Samuel, Rahel said. That doesn't change anything about mother and father. She brushed hair back from her eyes and squinted out over the street with its peddlers hawking wares and women buying food and children squeezing in one last moment of playtime before they went home to do their chores. One huge mass of living, breathing, teeming humanity. I've never told you, she said. In the pogrom in Bialystok, I saw people burned alive. I saw people lighting other people on fire. This one girl, she might have been you or me. One minute she was just standing there in the window of her house. The next minute she was covered in flames. A human torch, gone in a flash. This was the wrong story for a lovely April afternoon when Yetta had been invited to a dance. Yetta clenched her teeth together and squeezed her eyes shut, shutting out the street scenes and the fire escape and the sight of Rahel's intense eyes. But she could still feel Rahel gripping her hand. She could still hear Rahel's voice. After I saw that, I thought I would never have a normal life again, Rahel whispered. I had nightmares. Remember when that tenement building burned in the next block? That brought all the nightmares back again. I never thought I could get married and have a baby and and be happy. Yetta pulled her hand from Rahel's grasp. She opened her eyes again. How could you want to have a normal life in a world where people set other people on fire, Yetta murmured. In a world where policemen beat up shirtwaist girls, how can that not make you want to change the world? Rahel leaned her head close to Yetta's. What was I supposed to do, she asked, complained to the czar. Go to Washington and yell at President Taft? I'm a girl. Maybe having a baby is the best thing I can do. 
to bring some happiness into this sad world. Yetta jerked away from Rahel because she didn't want Rahel to see that she was shaking. She slid back in through the window. The tenement seemed so dim after the fire escape. The door opened, Bella and Jane bursting into the kitchen and crying out, Yetta, where are you? Are you all right? I'm in here, Yetta called, trying to hold her voice steady. Rahel's going to have a baby. And then Bella and Jane were clustering around, saying all the things Yetta should have said. Such good news! How wonderful! Bella's eyes shone with joy, and she hugged Rahel the way Yetta should have. These are my friends, Yetta wanted to tell Rahel. Closer than family. Can you give me credit for their congratulations, for their happiness on your behalf? Can you see that I wish I could react the way they do, so kindly, so unselfishly? It's just that I myself have too many wishes, all tangled together like long hair in a spring breeze. She saw the sorrow and regret in her sister's eyes. She saw it and did nothing. Yetta, Bella, and Jane had become very skilled at digging newspapers and magazines out of the trash so they could bring them home for reading lessons. Jane always read them first to see what would work best for Bella, who could now pick out small words like cat and rat, or for Yetta, who could puzzle out how to pronounce just about any word, but had no idea what sentences like, a commission has been formed to make a recommendation regarding these circumstances, could possibly mean. Sometimes, if Jane found an interesting story, she'd read it out loud for all of them. They had been captivated for several nights by a romance tale in a lady's home journal, only to discover that the last page was missing. That's it, Jane cried, staring in dismay at the ragged edges of the torn-out page. That's all we get? Oh, you know what was going to happen, Bella said comfortingly. Serena was going to marry Mr. Godfrey, and they were going to live happily ever after. Her eyes glowed in the lamplight. I love stories like that, don't you? Maybe Serena convinced Mr. Godfrey to use part of his fortune to set up a union shirtwaist shop, Yetta said. And everyone bought his shirtwaists, and all the evil shirtwaist factory owners who abused their workers went out of business, and Bella hit Yetta in the face with a pillow. Not now, she said. I'm trying to imagine how they would have described the final kiss. Maybe he turned his smoldering eyes to her and... Yetta had pretended all along that she wasn't really that interested in this story. But she took the magazine from Jane and flipped through it just to make sure that the missing page wasn't in there somewhere. Nobody's eyes smolder in real life, she complained. Yours do when you talk about the union, Jane pointed out. Really? Yetta stood up and looked in the silver of mirror but it was too dark to see anything but shadows. She sat back down on the bed. It doesn't do any good. Anytime I bring up the union at work, the other girls say, yes, and I've still got debts from the strike, or what use is it? And there are so many new girls straight off the boat who don't even know what a union is. That was us not so long ago, and we went out on strike. We fought for the union, Bella said. We lost, Yetta said. Next time, you'll win, Jane said. People are still recovering. These things take time. But Yetta was already recovered. Her cough was gone. Her greatest affliction now was the restless longing that so often threatened to overwhelm her. 
Sometimes, sitting at her sewing machine, the feeling of wanting to hop a train west or stand up on a table or throw a sewing machine out the window came over her so strongly that she was afraid she'd actually do it. Any one of those things, or all three in succession, one after the other. Bella gave her friend a hug, as if she could sense Yetta's distress. Jane turned her attention to a newspaper, one only slightly stained with pickle juice. Maybe I can find a good story in... Oh, wait, look at this, she pointed to a small story at the bottom of the page. Yetta squinted at it in the dim light. Suffragepradi, she began, sounding out the words. Very good. There's going to be a suffrage parade here in New York City, just like the ones they've had in London. Oh, we should go. May 21st, that's Saturday. Saturday, Bella said. Work, remember? Oh, right, Jane said, collapsing the newspaper in her lap. I forgot. Yetta sprang up from the bed and paced in the narrow space between it and the chairs. No, no, we should be able to do this, she said. It's the slow season, remember? Lots of times they send us home with no work anyhow. So you just tell Mr. Carlotti and I'll tell Mr. Klein we can only work a half day Saturday. They'll dock our pay, Bella said. They'll probably dock our pay anyway, Yetta said. We haven't gotten full wages in weeks. They'll fire us. Yetta stumbled a little in her pacing. She righted herself, planted her feet firmly. Then we'll get another job, she said. Listen, it's not so much to ask to go to a parade on a Saturday afternoon just once in our lives to call out our support for suffrage. In Yiddish, there's a saying. It means, uh... Better to die on one's feet than to live on one's knees. I don't know about you, but I can't live on my knees, always hunkered down, always worried about everything. And that's why I'm going to that parade, whether anyone else goes or not. She expected Bella and Jane to make some sort of joke to lighten the mood, to give themselves a way out. Maybe something like, you think we could die at this suffrage parade? Then no thanks. But they both nodded solemnly. I'm going, Bella said. Yetta turned to Jean. She shrugged. I don't always know when Mrs. Blanc wants me to take the girls, but I'll do my best. Saturday afternoon, sneaking out at lunchtime, Yetta and Bella felt like prison escapees. Mr. Klein and Mr. Carlotti had lectured them about taking their jobs seriously, about how many other girls would be happy for the work, about how they were lucky to have jobs at all this time of year, but they never actually forbade them to go. We could do this any time we wanted, Yetta said as the elevator zoomed down to the ground. Bella was counting her pay for the week. It didn't take her very long. Not if we want to keep eating, she said grimly. But when they stepped out into the sunshine, she was grinning too. It was hard not to. Yetta felt so free and happy. Jane was waiting for them at the corner. And beside her, dressed in as much lace and as many frills as a china doll, was a little girl. I had to bring Harriet, Jane said, frowning apologetically. Bella instantly bent down to Harriet's level. Hello, Harriet. I'm Bella. How old are you? I'm this many, Harriet said, holding up five fingers. She placed her other hand on her head. And I'm this tall. While the little girl was distracted, Yetta leaned in close and whispered in Jane's ear, "'Won't you get in trouble if Mrs. Blanc finds out where you're taking her?' "'Oh, no,' Jane laughed. 
Mrs. Blanc wants her daughters to be modern American girls. I've convinced her that suffrage is part of that. I just don't think she'll tell her husband. She should tell him to treat his workers better, too, Yetta said. A shadow crossed Jane's face. Yetta wasn't sure if Jane was thinking about her own parents, how her own father had hired strike breakers and said it didn't matter if her mother knew or not, or if Jane was thinking about how it would be impossible, even working in the Blanc's house, to find out any information about Triangle that would help the union. Jane's sleuthing efforts had completely failed. Mr. Blanc wouldn't listen to anything his wife said about his business, Jane said. They're totally different worlds, his work and his home, she grimaced. He's actually a really good father, a lot better than mine ever was. Yet didn't didn't want to think about Mr. Blanc or Jane's father today. She was actually glad when Harriet piped up self-importantly, Millicent got to go to a birthday party, but I get to go to a parade. That's right, Jane said, patting Harriet's shoulder. But first, I need to introduce you to my other friend. Yetta, this is Harriet. Harriet, this is Yetta. I am very pleased to meet you, Harriet said carefully, looking to Jane for approval. Uh, yeah, me too, Yetta said. Then to prove that socialist, suffragist immigrants could also have manners, she added, Jane's told us a lot about you. That's Mademoiselle Michaud to her, Jane corrected. But Harriet was already clapping her hands, crying out, Bella and Yetta and Jane. Bella and Yetta and Jane. Yetta leaned close again and whispered to Jane, Will she do this all the way to Fifth Avenue? We'll take the trolley, Jane whispered back, so we get there faster. Harriet was actually still chanting when they climbed down from the trolley into the throngs of people milling around on the sidewalks of Fifth Avenue. But Yetta could easily tune out the little girl's sing-song in all the noise of the crowd. Can you believe all these people want women to vote? She marveled to Bella. This is for us. They want us to have a voice. Policemen cleared the street and then the parade began. Row after row of women dressed in white, carried huge signs. Votes for women. New Yorkers for suffrage. Politics may be dirty, but women are good at cleaning up after men. Between the rows of marchers, cars full of even more suffragists glided along, draped in yellow bunting and decorated with jonquils and daisies. The cars made Yetta think of the strikers' automobile parade, her own moment of glory. I was in a parade like this once, Yetta told Harriet, because Jane and Bella already knew. I rode in one of the cars. Harriet blinked up at her. You must be really important, she said. When we we can vote, we'll all be important, Jane said. Across the street, a small group of men were jeering. Go home and wash the dishes. Does your husband know where you are? I'd just as soon let my dog vote. Yetta wanted to rush across the street and tell them off. Why don't you wash your own dishes? Does your wife know where you are? I bet your dog could vote better than you do. Then she noticed that there was another group on the sidelines, a group of women holding up signs that said, no votes for women, no to suffrage, keep the fairer sex above the fray. She nudged Jane and muttered, do those signs say what I think they say? She was hoping that her reading skills had just failed her. Why would any woman not want to vote? Jane winced. 
There's a whole club, the New York Association Opposed to Women's Suffrage, she said. I read about it in the newspaper. They say women voting would destroy family life or just be unnecessary because women would always vote exactly like their husbands or fathers. But really, she was carefully not looking at Bella or Yetta or Harriet, they don't want their servants to have a vote. They don't want female immigrants voting. Yetta felt her face burning. She watched a woman passing through the crowd, handing out flyers that said suffrage now in big print at the top. Yetta shoved her way through the crowd and grabbed the woman's wrist. How can I join your cause, Yetta begged. How can I help? The woman jerked back a little in surprise, but she spoke firmly as she moved through the crowd. We meet the second and fourth Thursday afternoons of every month at... I can't meet on a Thursday afternoon, Yetta said. I work. I'm a shirtwaist girl. The woman stopped. A shirtwaist girl? Were you in the strike? Yes, till the very end. The woman was looking at her with respect now. Respect and sympathy. Then, here, help me pass out these flyers, the woman said, handing her a stack. And next year, if we don't have the vote by then, next year come back and we'll put you in the parade. Yetta gave out the flyers until they were all gone. Then she found her way back to her friends. When women have the vote, fathers will want to send their daughters to college, just like boys, Jane was saying, as the last of the parade went by. And girls won't feel like they can't go into banks, like they have to hand over all their money to the men in their family, Bella said. And we'll vote to make work fair, Yetta added. Jane glanced warningly down at Harriet, clearly trying to remind Yetta that she couldn't say too much in front of the little girl. What do you think will happen when women can vote? Jane asked the girl to distract her. Yetta, Harriet tilted her head to the side, considering. I'll get a pony for my birthday, she said, as if women getting to vote was just another way of saying wishing and the pony will have wings, and I'll ride that pony right up to the sun, and the sun will give me flowers. It's fun to daydream, isn't it? Bella said, smiling. But we're not just daydreaming, telling ourselves fairy tales, playing little girl, let's pretend, Yetta reminded herself. Please, God, let it someday be true. Someday we really will be able to vote. Someday Triangle will be a closed union shop, and someday I won't be so restless. Someday I'll be able to sit back and say, yes, everything worked out. Hope surged in Yetta for all those some days, which seemed so far off. At least she knew a date for one hope. Next year, she would march in the suffrage parade.